Hi, this is Diagnosis Explained, podcast for people who have been diagnosed with a mental or physical health disorder, know someone with a diagnosis, are interested in medicine, want to learn how to explain diagnoses to their patients better, or just love hearing me talk. <laughs> I'm a physician assistant and a patient and realized how little time there is to explain diagnoses and what they're all about and medications and what it means. There are so many resources out on the internet, everything from WebMD to medical journals, but so many of the resources are just too complicated or too inaccurate to be helpful. I decided to start this podcast so that you and I can understand our diagnoses better. Last time, we talked about mental health disorders, how to help yourself, and also who to turn to for help, including psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, and even your primary care doctor. This week, we'll be talking about one of my diagnoses, depression, how it's diagnosed, and how it's treated. Next time, we'll be discussing The Bell Jar, a book by Sylvia Plath so that we can better understand what depression looks like in someone else's life. I hope that it will help you and I to feel less alone, and to feel like we and others with this diagnosis are valid, normal, great human beings. Even in 2019, there's such a stigma, a lack of understanding, and silence surrounding things like depression. I want to change that. If you have a certain diagnosis you'd like me to, to discuss, medication you're taking and don't understand, or a book you want me to read, uh, please send it in to diagnosisexplainedpodcast at gmail.com. I am trying to make this podcast as accurate as possible and has spent a lot of time doing research. So if you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review so that other people can find this podcast as well. You can also head to our Patreon and donate a few dollars so that you can get access to my notes. Or just to buy me a soy chai latte, which I love drinking while recording this podcast. So let's get started. Why are we talking about depression? Well, first, I've struggled with depression in my life. So it's very close to me and near to me. There were days that I could hardly get out of bed. Days I felt pathetic, invisible, stupid, and broken. There are also millions of other people who have suffered with depression, just as I have. From the National Institute of Mental Health, an estimated 17.3 million adults in the United States has had at least one major depressive episode. That is 7.1% of all U.S. adults. That means if you've met 100 people, Seven of them have had a major depressive episode. Depression is much more common amongst adult females. 8.7% of females have had depression compared to the males at 5.3. So almost nine females and five males out of every 100 people. It's most common at ages 18 to 25 and even afflicts those who are rich and famous. Chris Evans, our strong Avenger, who has been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, describes it as torture. He says, quote, A red carpet lasts, what, 30 minutes tops? But to me, it's like 30 minutes of walking on hot coals. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt says, quote, I was scared and depressed for a while. Not that I had any reason to effing be depressed. John Hamm of Mad Men, who says that antidepressants and therapy helped him, says, I want to get up in the morning. I don't want to sleep till four in the afternoon. Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, says, I reached a point where I didn't want to do a thing or go anywhere. I was crying constantly. Others who have depression include Buzz Aldrin, Beyonce, Winston Churchill, Princess Diana, Selena Gomez, Lady Gaga, Abraham Lincoln, Marilyn Monroe, and countless others. Depression is also co-occurring with nearly every other health diagnosis, meaning that it happens at the same time. Nearly 25% of cancer patients experience depression. Nearly 25% of stroke patients experience depression. One in three heart attack survivors experience depression. One in three HIV patients may experience depression. Half of all of those who have Parkinson's also have depression. Three quarters of those with eating disorders have depression. Those who abuse substances, 27% of them are also depressed. And 27% of those people with diabetes also experience depression. Can you imagine trying to get off drugs only to realize that you can't even get out of bed? To survive a heart attack only to feel like you want to kill yourself. I know that I don't have any of those things, but I do have depression. And the quote from Joseph Gordon-Levitt about not having any reason to be depressed is one that I identify with closely. I had a great upbringing. I was so good at school and making friends. People said I was bubbly and outgoing. There was no reason for me to think about ending it all, to cut myself, to call myself names. I didn't have any reason to be depressed, but I was. So what is depression? When it comes to mental health disorders, there's the Bible, the DSM-5. That stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, version 5. It's the book that lays out how to diagnose and describe mental health illnesses. In the DSM-5, there are five different depression diagnoses, not including bipolar, schizophrenia, or other mental health disorders, which can have depression as well. The first is Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder. They came up with this to avoid overdiagnosis of bipolar in children, and this is really for children who present with persistent irritability and frequent episodes of extreme behavioral discontrol, meaning they can't control what they do, and is for children who are up to 12 years of age. Major depressive disorder is the classic condition in this group of disorders, and I'll talk about it more in a minute. Persistent depressive disorder, or dysthymia, can be diagnosed when the mood disturbance occurs for at least two years in an adult or one year in children, but they don't meet the criteria of major depressive disorder. So think about this one as just being chronically blue. 
The fourth one is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So this has to do with menstruation. Those with this disorder have their symptoms start when they ovulate, and then they tend to remit or go away within a few days of menses. This can happen every single month, as if having a period isn't hard enough. The fifth and final diagnosis of depression has to do with substance and medication-induced depressive disorder and depressive disorder due to other medical conditions. Basically, it's depression that's caused by substance or medication or um, from other disorders or diagnoses. And okay, technically there's a sixth and a seventh one as well. There's other specified depressive disorder and unspecified depressive disorder. But those are more to create a pocket for our psychiatrists to place people into. Those who may not fit the classic depression symptomology and picture. But now let's return to major depressive disorder. So you go to the doctor, and you said you've been feeling kind of sad and empty, maybe hopeless. And you've been having a hard time sleeping. And eating seems just out of your reach. How does the doctor know that you have major depressive disorder and not something else? Well, let's turn to our DSM-5. So, major depressive disorder is... A collection of signs and symptoms that occur at the same during the same two-week period, which are not explained by another medical condition, and it has to occur most of the day, nearly every day. So again, during a two-week period, you have several different signs and symptoms of depression most days, nearly the whole day. You must have five or more of these symptoms in order to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And one of these must be depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So the first symptom is a depressed mood. And this is feeling sad, empty, hopeless, or tearful. And when it comes to children or adolescents, irritable. Second one is decreased interest or pleasure in activities. You no longer care about collecting stamps doing your homework, sitting with your co-workers at work. The third is weight loss or weight gain, unintentionally, of course. You can't just be on a diet. Number four is difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much. Number five, feeling restless or slowed down. And I know that's really confusing. All of those, you can either gain weight, lose weight, sleep too much, not enough, restless, or in moving about, or slowed down and not wanting to move. But that's just the way depression is. It's different for each person. Number six is fatigue or loss of energy. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. This one is probably my biggest symptom. Decreased ability to think or concentrate. Being indecisive. You can feel stupid. Like you can't think anymore. And finally, thoughts of death, suicidal ideation, or a suicide attempt. So suicidal ideation just means that you're thinking about suicide. You may not have a plan, you may not actually want to do it, but you think, what if I drove my car into this concrete wall? What if I jumped off this parking garage? You may not actually want to hurt yourself, but these thoughts haunt you. 
So again, you have to have five or more of these symptoms. And one of those must be depressed mood or loss of interest in, or pleasure. They also need to be causing you problems with your friends, family, job, or other important areas of functioning. This is also not the same as a normal response to loss or financial ruin or serious medical illness. Uh, because a lot of these can be normal feelings depending on the situation. However, just because you had someone die doesn't mean that you can not be depressed. And finally, you have to make sure that there's never been a manic or hypomanic episode. This one is really important because some of the medications that are used to treat depression can actually cause someone to go manic. So what is mania or hypomania? So mania is on the other end of the scale from depression. If depression is being low, then mania is being high. You have excess energy. You don't sleep. You feel like you're God. One can't be taken down. Hypomania may just look like working harder. Making a lot of lists. Feel like you're running on full cylinders. All of these are signs of mania. Or hypomania. If you have these, then there's a chance that your depression isn't just depression. Because in bipolar... You have periods of time where you're manic, and also when you're depressed. A lot of people don't mind the mania, or especially hypomania. They feel like they're better pe people during that time. But during the depression, they come and seek help. And so that's why we have to make sure that we don't treat them with medication that's going to make them worse. That's going to send them into an uncontrolled mania, where they spend all of their money, make poor decisions, and ruin their relationships. So once we've ruled that out, a good way to measure depression is through the PHQ-9. So this is the patient health questionnaire number nine. It was a very clever, clever name, isn't it? <laughs> this is a questionnaire which covers the nine criteria for depression and is useful not only in its diagnosis, but in the tracking of depression. So if you feel like you are depressed, the PHQ-9 is a good way to tell you so. And then as you make changes, as you incorporate exercise and eating well and good bedtimes, maybe you can notice a, dif a difference by taking the questionnaire again. If your score is lower, then you're doing better. So the way this questionnaire works is it asks you to think back on the last two weeks. And then each of the questions is marked as occurring not at all several days, more than half the days, and nearly every day. And so the questions are given a point value as well, with zero for not at all, one for several days, two for more than half the days, and three for nearly every day. And then they present to you nine different situations. One, little pleasure in doing things. Does this happen not at all? Several days? More than half the days or nearly every day within the last two weeks. Two, feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. Three, trouble falling asleep or staying asleep or sleeping too much. Four, feeling tired or having little energy. Five, poor appetite or overeating. Six, feeling bad about yourself or that you're a failure or if you would let yourself or your family down. 
Next is trouble concentrating on things, such as reading a newspaper or watching television. Moving so slowly or speaking so slowly that people could have noticed. Or the opposite, you're so fidgety and restless that you've been moving around a lot more than usual. And then finally, thoughts that you would be better off dead or hurting yourself. So remember, when scoring this, we need to make sure that the first two, one of them, is marked as happening. Either several days, more than half the days, or nearly every day. If someone doesn't have little pleasure in doing things, or they're not feeling down, then depression is probably not the diagnosis for us. There could be something else going on. And so that's why it's important to be honest and not just try and fit this criteria. We need to figure out what's actually going on. So what do we do if it does turn out that we're depressed? If you take the PHQ-9 and you score high. Well, as I explained in last week's podcast, there are some things we can do. And I recommend that you go back to that. Things you can do on your own, but then there's also medical and mental health professionals that you can reach out to. But I, when you go, I want you to take your PHQ-9 with you, but remember that it doesn't ensure depression. It just is kind of an indicator. They may say you have something else, like bipolar, borderline personality disorder, anxiety, or one of a hundred other things that are listed in the DSM-5. That PHQ-9 and this podcast does not replace your mental health professional, your doctor, your psychiatrist. I'm only here to help guide and help you understand what's going on in your provider's mind and why they're doing what they're doing. A lot of places will have you take the PHQ-9 even if you aren't depressed. They use it as a screening tool to uncover those who do have depression but haven't said anything about it. But now that you've gone to your doctor or your therapist and they've diagnosed you as depressed, what do we do? What are they going to do? Well, it's known that a combination of therapy, talk therapy, and medication is the most effective way to treat depression. And it's how most people get their depression treated. About 65% receive combined care by a health professional and medication treatment. So they see a therapist and get someone to prescribe them medication. Treatment with medication alone is actually only 6% of the cases. And about 35% of those with major depressive disorder did not receive any treatment at all. Let's make sure you're in the 65%. Listen to last po the last podcast that I put out, and it will tell you all about how to seek and find mental health help. But let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen in therapy. There are different types of therapy, different belief systems that guide the therapist in their treatment of their patients. I'm just going to do a quick overview of three of these, the ones that have been shown to be effective and the ones that I've felt are helpful for me. There's cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT, and acceptance and commitment training, ACT. CBT is focused on how our thoughts, cognitions, feelings, emotions, and actions, behaviors, all interact together. So again, this is called cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's how, on how your 
thoughts, feelings, and actions work together. More specifically, how our thoughts determine our feelings and behavior. For example, let's say you fail a test, and that makes you a failure, and then that makes you depressed. CBT would encourage you to reframe your thoughts um, in that situation. You fail a test, which means that you didn't understand the material as well as you thought, which then makes you feel empowered to get a tutor. Does that make sense? If we just kept it as before, if you're a failure, there's little reason to try. And so we need to change those automatic thoughts from I'm a failure to I didn't understand that very well. I need help. DBT, or dialectical behavioral therapy, is a type of cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's kind of like a subgroup that is derived from a philosophical process called dialectics. Dialectics is based on the concept that all things are interconnected, change is constant and inevitable, and opposites can be integrated to form a closer approximation of the truth. Now that may sound kind of hoity-toity, but for example, you have your emotional mind, the one that runs with all of your emotions and all of your thoughts having to do with how you feel, and then you have your rational mind. This is your calculating mind. The one, like Spock, that does not feel. When they're in balance and working together, you are in your wise mind. And you can both think and feel living fully in the moment. So again, this is us taking our opposites and integrating them to form a closer approximation of the truth. If you just view everything as Spock would in your rational calculating mind, there will be so many things that you miss out on. But if you're in your emotional mind all the time and just run from emotion to emotion to emotion, then you don't have anything guiding you. And again, you'll miss out and you'll feel distressed. The great thing about DBT is that it teaches us that these thoughts, emotions are always going to be changing. Nothing is constant. And our wise mind will help us get through all of those shifting situations, feelings, thoughts. For me, this is a message that provides comfort, knowing that the thoughts that I have will not always be there, that when I've been depressed, I will get better, because that's just how life is. It changes and adjusts and moves. ACT, or Acceptance and Commitment Training, is another type of CBT, which focuses on letting go and acceptance. For example, Let's say you're watching a river, and in the river are your thoughts on top of leaves. You watch them flow down the river, past you, and you don't try and push the leaves away, even if you don't like what it says. You don't try and pull them closer, even if you want to hold on to that happiness. You just observe them, without judgment, as they float away, remembering that no thought is good, no thought is bad. The only truth is that they will change. Again, that idea of change is something that I find really comforting. I don't try and push away the thoughts of, I'm an idiot, or, oh, I'm so stupid. I just let them sit on those leaves and go down the stream. I don't have to hate myself for not fixing my thoughts. I can just accept that they are and let them go. 
Not to say I'm perfect at it, but it's definitely something that I thought was helpful. There are so many other types of therapy, but I'm not a therapist. Perhaps one day we'll have um, a therapist come on and answer some questions. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about those three that I've personally used and found helpful. CBT, DBT, and ACT. So that ends today's discussion on depression. Next time we'll be talking about depression medications, their side effects, and their normal doses. If you have any suggestions for diagnosis to talk about, or if you feel like I didn't cover depression very well, go ahead and send me an email at diagnosisexplainedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, be sure to visit our Patreon so that you can buy me a soy chai latte or get access to my notes. It was great having you today, and see you next time. Thank you. Bye.